and welcome to Monse, a K-pop podcast with your host, Zia J. I'm bringing you the latest news and reviews this week, as well as a discussion about the way English language media treats K-pop. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on the platform you're using and follow the socials over at Monse Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I just do this by myself, so supporting it by sharing it is the biggest thing you can do right now. But let's get into this week's news. Kingdom, Mnet's boy group competition show, finished this week, and spoiler alert, skip ahead if you don't want to hear about this, Stray Kids won by a significant margin. As with most competition shows like this, there were some scandals. There was concerns of unequal budgeting in the opening round, and almost immediately after the end of the show, there were rumours that the lead producer had been fired. I don't know much about this, so I won't talk about it further. We may learn more in the coming weeks. But congratulations to Stray Kids and all of the teams who worked so hard. Spire Entertainment announced the debut details of new boy group Omega X this week. The group consists of 11 members, all of whom have debuted in other groups, including eight who have participated in survival shows. They will debut on June 30 with their first mini-album, Vamos. Speaking of survival shows, former Island contestant Hanbin has left B-Lift Lab, the label that managed the debut show, and signed with Yuhua Entertainment. The show is a collaboration between CJ E&M and Hybe, and the winners debuted as an hyphen. Hanbin is not the first contestant to depart from the related companies. Chaney Kyungmin left Hybe Labels Japan, seeking a different direction than the label was offering. In exciting news, Very Very's Minchan has announced his return to activities after an eight-month hiatus. The member took time off last October to treat his anxiety, and did not participate in the group's most recent comeback. It's good to hear idols are taking time off for their mental health, but it's always exciting when they're well enough to return. And finally, JYP Entertainment has acquired a 23% stake in DU, a mobile development company owned by SM Studios. This comes as SM Entertainment announced they would be working with JYP to further the development of DU Bubble, a fan service platform where idols can send private messages to fans. The two companies also partnered recently on the establishment of an online concert platform, Beyond Live. It's not surprising that the companies are working together to focus on technological developments, as Hybe furthers its investments in fan-focused tech. Now onto this week's reviews. It was a big week. I've got lots of reviews for you. (laughs) Tomorrow by Together kicked off the week for us with their new track, I Know I Love You. I have not seen that much hype around this song, which is weird because I think it goes fucking hard. I Know I Love You hits pop rock perfectly. Live instruments through the chorus and electronic sounds in the verses, a driving drumline and beautiful vocal and guitar harmonies. There's also a smoothness to the English in this track that we don't always get, both lyrically and vocally, and they really make the most of the members' different vocal timbres. I do want to draw attention to the huge writing team on this track, which includes names like RM of BTS and Hybe CEO Hitman Bang, but the sound of this track made a lot more sense to me when I saw Mod Sun, a huge artist and producer who obviously brought his experience working with artists like Machine Gun Kelly and Avril Lavigne. This is the perfect angsty summer track, and will definitely feature on my road trip playlists for a while. Monster X also came back this week with Gambler. 
This is a fun mix between Monster X's classic pop hip-hop style and some classic rock references. Super slick, bass-heavy, melodic rap parts and arrogant lyrics, it's familiar in the best way. The electric guitar lick in the first verse is a really nice touch, and Kihan and Juhon deliver some big vocal moments really comfortably. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a stepping stone between what Monster X has been doing and something new in the future, but regardless, I think this is a solid track. Mamamoo is the next huge name on this week's comeback list with Where Are We Now? A somber ballad, Where Are We Now? is as brooding musically as it is lyrically. With a beautiful piano and strings accompaniment, the members' vocals really come through. It would have been easy for this to be a little tiring to listen to, because it starts with big vocals and they just get bigger, but there's a delightfully melodic rap break that helps. And there's just a certain level of skill, I think, in managing these big notes without losing the emotion that really defines this song. Where Are We Now and its album are a celebration of Mamamoo's seventh anniversary, and I think they're proving once again that they're at the top of this industry. Red Velvet's Joy had her solo debut this week with Hello, a fun summer remake of Park Hye Kyung's 2003 track. This is a big band soft rock song, with funky piano and horns in the chorus, softened by a synth organ and gentle vocals in the verses. Joy's vocals are beautiful, of course, and the music video was shot in Jeju, her hometown, featuring its residents. It was an interesting decision for Joy's solo debut to be an album of remakes. I would have liked to see what her own track would have sounded like, but she does do this really well. With the final episode of Kingdom, each group released a special track, so here are some short and sharp reviews. Stray Kids' song Wolfgang is pretty classic Stray Kids. Complex synth lines, fun rap rhythms, and a catchy, heavy chorus. There's a lot of drama in this track, and we maybe could have had a break from the background organ at some point, but it's obviously not that much of an issue for the victors. The boys' track was Kingdom Come, with all the cinema and drama we've come to expect from their performances. Strings mixed with electronic percussion, chanting vocals, it all reminds me a bit of Mama by EXO, but it's definitely the boys, and of course Sangyeon has this incredible high note that he hit beautifully live. ATZ's track was The Real, a song that references traditional Korean musical elements while staying true to ATZ's fun hip-hop style. This is a really easy to follow song, and the performance was just as much of a celebration as this feels. Next up was B2B with Finale, Show and Prove. Finale is really what B2B does best, although shout out to their Stray Kids rock cover, that was incredible. But this song is full of drama, live instruments, huge vocals, beautiful harmonies, super emotional. I'm pretty sure most of the groups were willing to abandon the competition and mutinize against Mnet during this performance. There's also some really fun rap in this, and that offsets the big musical theatre vocal moments really nicely. Icon's track at ease is pretty stripped back, really focusing on the voices of the members, but the drop in the chorus has a really nice contrast between the lazy style of vocals and the heavy driving instrumental. Of course, it wouldn't be an Icon song without some funky rap rhythms, and this song could have been a little disappointing if it wasn't for the completely wild, thumping bridge-slash-outro. Finally, we have SF9 with Believer. 
Each of the kingdom participants have their own style, and SF9 is one of the more pop adjacent, but that didn't stop them starting the track with a great rap section. This song has some huge moving sections, and SF9 delivers them beautifully, both in the song and on stage. There are some huge releases coming up this week, EXO, TWICE, CARDS, BM, N-Flying, Apex's debut, but as always, if there's someone particular you want me to pay attention to, let me know on the socials, Monse Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Now onto the main part of this episode. I want to talk a bit about the way English language and especially Western media treats K-pop, because I think it's often not done so well. So I want to bring some of my journalism knowledge to this, and also I just think this is something important for me to talk about early on on the show, so you'll know where I'm coming from, my perspectives on how media should handle K-pop, and what I want to do. As always, my sources are in the show notes, but for this episode I watched a bunch of interviews, including the bad ones, and read a truly ridiculous amount of Twitter and Reddit threads of people's opinions on media handling K-pop. Before I do start, I want to share something that one of my favourite journalism lecturers told us in my first year of uni. We do journalism because we want to tell people stories. I think it's one of the most human traits to share a story, and in my and other music journalists' case, we want to bring fans the stories of the artists they love, and on this show, I want to bring the stories of the fans as well. That's a really foundational part of my journalism, thanks Dr. Naja Barfin from La Trobe University, and that really informs what I'm going to talk about today. I want to start by going over some traits that I found are really common across interviews that fans like, and why as a journalist they're really important. Because, unsurprisingly, the things that fans think make a good interview are the things that are done by good journalists. Something that comes up again and again is making artists comfortable and treating them like adults. I feel like this is pretty intuitive. As a fan, you know your idols are adults, and seeing them comfortable means you get to see them as themselves. But as a journalist, part of our job is to make people comfortable. Obviously, I'm talking pop journalism here. Things like political journalism is a different issue. But you want your interview subject to be comfortable because it means they're going to be more responsive to questions. They're going to tell you things and you get to ask questions that might not have happened otherwise. To me, a good interview is like a conversation. And that doesn't happen unless people are comfortable. And treating artists like they're adults is going to make them more comfortable. And I will get into a bit later why I think K-pop artists, more than Western celebrities, tend to be treated kind of like children in interviews. <laughs> Something else that fans talk about a bit is interpreters and their presence or lack thereof. This has come up a lot, especially in BTS's early days in America, but it's a constant issue here in Australia as well. I've seen it a lot. I have really one very strong opinion about this, both as a fan, but particularly as a journalist, and it's that interpreters are fucking vital. When you conduct an interview with someone who does not speak and or understand fluent English, you should have an interpreter. For me, it's really an issue of professionalism. You can't communicate yourself well to someone who doesn't understand you, and unless you can understand Korean, they can't communicate well to you either. That really impacts your ability to hold a good interview. And it should not be on English-speaking members to interpret. Interpreting is hard and tiring, and it's not part of their job. If anyone from a media company ever listens to this, please, please pay for interpreters. 
for your interviews. Fans also mention a lot that good journalists give artists time to answer their questions. And I'll be honest, sometimes this is hard to manage. You get a time slot with an artist, maybe 10 minutes backstage at KCON if you're unlucky, and you have a list of approved questions and you often really need to promote their new music. So it's really hard sometimes to give someone the time they deserve. So that's not always up to the journalist. But I do think some have a tendency to cut artists off, especially when they're speaking Korean. And again, I'll talk a bit more in a minute about why I think that happens. Another thing that raises questions of professionalism for me is research and the types of questions that journalists ask. When fans are happy with an interview, they often mention how knowledgeable a journalist is, how they ask new questions or ask detailed questions about the group and their music. This is maybe the easiest one for me to address behind needing interpreters because that's the whole job. You can't help tell someone's story if you don't know anything about them. The worst of it is when interviews get members' names wrong or compliment someone on their English when they're a native speaker. Yes, I am talking about BTS and NCT respectively, but it extends to asking questions that just aren't relevant to the group. When your job is to ask questions, the least you can do is make sure they're correct and appropriate. Looking at you, Ellen, always asking idols about their dating lives. Why? You can stop doing that. (laughs) But we see it on red carpets all the time too. When a journalist doesn't know anything about the group they're interviewing, so they ask about BTS or Blackpink instead. I love those groups, and I absolutely respect their success, but a Monster X interview is not the time or place. I said I'd talk about why I think this happens. I wasn't sure if I was going to discuss this in this episode, because it's kind of heavy, But then I saw a lot of tweets from a lot of very unhappy armies after some weirdly negative press in the past couple of days, and specifically one from user August Deesnuts, who said, the bitterness and hatred K-pop journalists have towards K-pop fans actually needs to be studied, because how? It's a sentiment I come across a lot, and I think it comes down to the fact that K-pop, all elements of K-pop, are rarely taken seriously, particularly in Western media. If fans aren't taken seriously, why do journalists need to ask interesting questions or do research? If artists aren't taken seriously, why do journalists need to talk to them as adults and not be condescending? If the music isn't taken seriously, why do journalists need to spend time asking about it instead of playing games? K-pop is still often seen as a token genre in the West. It's this generation's phase, right? BTS is still referred to as being new on the scene, because K-pop is still new in the eyes of journalists here. And unsurprisingly, I think the reason for that, for K-pop not being taken seriously, comes down to racism and sexism. Korean music isn't treated as seriously as Western music, and idols are infantilized, treated like children, which is a super common and super racist trait imposed on Asian and particularly East Asian cultures. Western media doesn't have the image of Korea as a country with a huge pop culture industry, so K-pop artists can be treated like they don't matter as much. English is considered a superior language, so artists are expected to speak it without interpreters, and are more likely to be cut off when they're speaking Korean. Korean music is considered a monolith, with no variation within it, 
So journalists default to asking about BTS because they've become representative. And of course, all of this is piled on top of the fact that K-pop's fanbase is widely seen as teenage girls. And as most of you would know, teenage girls can't have nothing. The fact that people think of K-pop fans as teenage girls leads them to dismiss the genre as not important or less genuine, and that means it's not worth spending time and effort on. What this results in is grossly unprofessional behaviour from journalists, and they hold such a key position in changing public opinion on K-pop. All of that being said, it's not all bad. I started by talking about the things that fans mention often, the things they like that good journalists do, and those things do happen. So if you want to see people who do that well, here are some recommendations. Ellie Lee is a journalist for iHeartMedia. She's interviewed a bunch of artists for iHeartRadio. She does those super energetic interviews. She's pretty wild, so her style does tend to split opinions a bit. But she always knows a lot about the groups she's talking to, and she's great at giving them time to answer and genuinely listening to them. Jeff Benjamin is another. You'd kind of hope he'd be good, given he's specifically a K-pop music journalist. But again, he always does his research, and he gets to know fandoms and what they want, which is a huge positive. He also pays a lot of attention to the industry outside of just the artists, and I think that really informs his interviews. I want to give a quick shout out to Hello82, the kind of YouTube and online video content. Their content isn't always my style, but they do always have either interpreters or hosts who are fluent in Korean, and I wish I saw more of that elsewhere. Finally, my favourite journalist to cover K-pop is Zach Sang and his team. I know I've mentioned him on here before, but I cannot speak highly enough of how well he knows the artists he's talking to and how comfortable he makes them. He's also great at noticing what things idols want to talk more or less about, and that's a little thing that I really appreciate. For me, that's the mark of a good journalist, is someone who's really paying attention to what their interview subjects are saying and what they're likely to talk about more. I think coverage of K-pop is changing. I think more and more publications are realising what fans want to see and doing that. And K-pop is more and more being seen as real important music, so that helps too. (laughs) I do want to end on the fact that you, as a fan, have a huge amount of influence. You are the audience of the publications and the people interviewing these idols. When you like an interview, let the publication know. Comment on the article or the video, or even better, contact them separately about it. Tweet at them directly or email them. And the the same goes if you didn't like it. Tell them that you didn't like it and tell them why. Publications really listen to you. They're doing these interviews for fans, and if fans are not happy, that reflects badly on them. And so if you tell them what you like, tell them what you don't like you're going to be able to influence the quality of content that you get in the future. I think that's where I'll wrap it up for this episode. If you have thoughts on this, I would love to hear them. Please let me know on the socials at Monse Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I might do a follow-up to this episode at some point in the future because I do think this is changing. 
as I said at the top, sharing this show is the biggest way to support it right now. Thank you so much if you've done that already. Um, as always, my references are in the show notes and the podcast-related links are in the card there too. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Sovereignty over this land was never ceded. It was stolen, but it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you for joining me. I've been Zia J, and I'll catch you next week for the next episode of Munsey, a K-pop podcast. Mm-hmm.